Welcome to the Cultivating Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Billy Schultz. Today we have the last part of our four-part series from our Congregation Leadership Summit. And this is a uh, breakout session from Dr. Terry Tiemann, who did the plenier session for this event. Um, There was another breakout session at our Leadership Summit, and that was uh, from our office, Dr. Phil Johnson. And if you go to one of our earlier episodes of this podcast, you'll hear him talk about a lot of the same things he talked about in that breakout session. So uh, feel free to, whatever device you're on, to uh, go through our episodes to find the one with Phil. And uh, you can get the full Leadership Summit experience without um, ever having to leave your car or your home or your office. So just want to make a quick note before we begin today. Our district convention is six weeks from today. Starts Thursday, June 21st at Concordia University, St. Paul. Our district convention handbook will actually be uh, released very soon. We're trying to wrap up a few quick details on it. Make sure that uh, our list of registered delegates is up to date and uh, then get that out so you can see all the various convention information, including uh, the overtures that came in, the slate of candidates, um, and all the other helpful information that's there. Our floor committees did meet last Saturday, May 5th, and those uh, resolutions that came out of the floor committees will also be out um, probably a few days after we release the handbook. Um, So you'll want to read both of those, whether you're um, a delegate or not. It's good to know what's happening in your district and uh, and things that you can pray for and things you can uh, ask delegates about. So today's episode, again, is with uh, Dr. Terry Tiemann, his breakout session from our Congregation Leadership Summit. If you can hear my voice, clap twice. Very good. I hope you're having a good time. I am. I'm going to have to talk less because we were supposed to be through the first four hinges by break, and we didn't quite make that. But um, this fourth hinge is really the most important one, and then community outreach on the uh, congregational side is is very important. So I want to make sure that I park on those um, and and make sure that you understand those uh, well. And and so we may go through some of the other ones rather quickly, so I apologize for that. So let's look at empowerment. So the pastor and staff spend their time, we suggest around eight hours a week. So another day, so you got one day out in the community and then another day where you're uh, working with uh, leaders and and uh, other people in the church equipping and empowering them. So that doesn't leave a lot of time (laughs) for some of the other things, if you you do it this way. So they spend their time developing God's people through coaching, mentoring, and training. I already quoted Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, which gives a job description for church staff and, and for leaders in the church. So it's to prepare God's people for works of service, Uh, The translation I like to use is empowering God's people for works of service. The old King James said equipping the saints to build up the body of Christ. So there's various ways to say that. Just another slide here to show how this is all related. So as we grow in those four factors on the left, that 
helps the pastors and, and leaders to become better at empowerment. And as they grow in their empowering skills and uh, resources, it has a greater missional impact. While at the same time, notice what happens on the right-hand side. It enhances those three hinges, which in turn also impact the mission. So that's why we say that uh, the empowerment of uh, empowering God's people for works of service is the most important hinge because all the other ones really uh, are related to it. So here's the real question. Where do we start in empowerment? If it's so important, where do we start? How do we do it? I think it kind of starts with understanding the expectations that our people have and then comparing that to what does the Bible actually say? So let me tell you a quick story that will, I think, show a little bit about um, you know, what the expectations of, of a congregation are. So before I went to Memphis, I was pastoring Fort Smith, Arkansas. And I was there for nine years. And God blessed us uh, while we were there um, to go from about, I think, 100 in worship to 250. And we also planted two new churches in some outlying communities. And so because of the fact that I was involved in two church plants, that made me an expert. <laughs> um, and so then the district called and, and wanted me to be the, the mission exec, which is a call I accepted. Uh, I really looked, I, I, I relished the opportunity to plant churches all over the district. By the way, I had a very simple uh, church planning strategy, and some of you may know that Walmart has its headquarters in, in northwest Arkansas, which is Bentonville, not far from Fort Smith. And so I figured uh, instead of me doing, uh, or the church doing, all of the demographic studies and figuring out you know, where, to, where to put churches, my simple theory was that if a, a community was big enough to have a Walmart, they ought to have a Lutheran church. And so that was, that was our strategy. <laughs> whatever town had a Walmart or whatever community had a Walmart would, would get an LCMS church. And that was the strategy. Anyway, as, as uh, I was about to leave, um, we were finishing up a building project um, on our education. We had built a new educational building and started a preschool. And because we are good Germans, mostly, uh, in that congregation, uh, they were very frugal, and so we had this brick garage. It was really a storage building. It looked like a garage, and uh, it, was, it was on the property, but it was in the way of where the educational building was, was uh, being constructed. So instead of just raising the thing and, and getting rid of the, the debris, uh, we took it apart brick by brick and laid a new foundation on the other side of the property, and then reconstructed that building. And it wasn't big, it was only, I don't know, 15 by 20, maybe. Um, it was a garage. And so, I had promised in my infinite wisdom that I would help out, my part in, in this project was that, that I would put the roof on this building because when I was in college and seminary, I paid for my tuition by doing roofing. So I worked construction in the summertime and I, I wasn't an expert in roofing, but I knew how to do it. And this couldn't be too hard, right? So I had all done, uh, except for the, the ridge cap along the top. And I wasn't really planning on, on taking care of that, because it was the last day. And I still hadn't done it. 
And the moving van was at my house, and I was getting ready, you know, all last-minute details. And the treasurer of our congregation calls me up, and he says, Pastor, the rich cap on that building, that uh, storage building, has not been completed, and I believe that you promised you would do that. And I'm like, you're seriously wanting me to do that two hours before I moved to Memphis? So I said, you know what? Okay. So I, I went, and I'm sitting on the top of this building, this little garage, put, putting the, the ridge cap of shingles on the top of this thing and, and wondering, how did I ever get in this situation? And the answer is expectations. Because that's what the congregation expected of their pastor, right? Is the pastor does everything. The toilet overflows, the pastor's a plumber. If uh, the lawn needs to be cut, the pastor's a gardener. If uh, the roof needs to be repaired, the pastor's a contractor. Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration, I realize. But how much truth is there? What are the expectations for the pastor and for the members at your congregation? So if I had a whiteboard up here, which I don't, but let's just pretend that I did, and I started making a list of all the things that your congregations expect the pastor to do, what would I write up there? Just call them out. What, what, what does the congregation Preach. expect? Worship. Preach, worship, lead worship, counseling, counseling. Visitation. teach, visitation, sick, shut-ins. What else? Weddings, Weddings. Weddings. sacraments, funerals. funerals. I ought to take my shoes off now. <laughs> what else? Attend every meeting. Attend, go, yeah, run, run the meetings, attend all the meetings. Lock the church. Lock the church. <laughs> okay. Confirmation, I didn't hear that one. Um, outreach, stewardship. So, in other words, it's, it's a lengthy list. Um, okay, now what do we expect of the members? Let's make another list. What's the list for the members? What are they expected to do? Sit and sit the pew. Worship, show up. And pay. Pay, pray, and play. And play. There you go. Okay. And, and again, this is exaggeration. We know that's not totally true, but you, you see what's going on here, right? So the expectation, and, and we've, we've modeled this, folks, for centuries. The pastor does the ministry the people support him in the church. Or sometimes we divide it between spiritual and secular, right? So, so the members take care of, you know, all the, the secular stuff, like the money and the building, but, the, you know, the pastor takes care of all the spiritual. Sometimes we do it that way. Okay, how biblical is all of that? Is that what the Bible says? I can't find it. Can I find it? Anywhere in scriptures that it says that. Um, so, is the pastor the do-it-all chaplain, takes care of all the people, or, we've already looked at this from Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, is he really the equipper of the saints? Um, <laughs> I like that. A little cartoon. So, what has to change? If, if we're really going to be serious about empowering God's people for works of service, and um, really have a missional impact. Because remember, we, we've shown all our, all our research, all the surveys, all of our experience in the Bible, 
all say that the way that we should be going about doing church is the pastor and the leader of the church should be empowering, equipping, coaching, mentoring the members. So how are we going to change that? Because that's not really the expectation. In a lot of churches, some of you maybe have this, where the, the expectation is that uh, the people do all the ministering. But how do we change the expectations? That's what really has to happen. Would you agree with that? We have to change expectations. That's why people get upset when you start changing things because, hey, you, that's not what I expect. I didn't sign up for that. Right? Yeah, somebody had to. There you go. Yeah. Instead, of, instead yeah. of saying, yes, I am to do all this, right. no, I'm not, and start empowering the other people to do it too. Right. Now, I, th- I think it really does have to start with the pastor in our own hearts and minds. I'm going I'm to follow J- uh, Jesus' example. I'm going to follow what the Bible says, which means I've got I to empower other people. So it doesn't all depend on me. Even if I'm better at it, that, that's sometimes the obstacle, right? I'm better at this than anybody else. And you may be. You may not be. <laughs> you won't know unless somebody else, you, know, you let somebody else try it. But by empowering other people, you're going to have a much greater kingdom impact than if you do everything yourself. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, just, uh, again, terms. So what's a member? We all have different definitions according to our Constitution and bylaws. I think that's really not the right question. It's not about membership. It's really, what is a disciple? And so here's the definition that we use. uh, Follower of Jesus. And to expand a little bit, one who trusts in Jesus as Savior, takes up his teachings and lifestyle, and teaches others how to do the same. So we all agreed earlier that that our purpose, the the, the church's purpose, is to make disciples. So what's a disciple? Does somebody who uh, signed your uh, constitution and bylaws, someone who comes to church on Sunday morning, someone who puts money in the plate. Yeah. So it's someone who follows Jesus, obeys his teachings, and then shares that, you know, trains somebody else to do it. The whole idea of discipleship is there, it's a follower, right? So if I'm a disciple, I'm following Jesus. But I'm also a disciple maker, so someone ought to be following me, right? So who are you discipling right now? That's a real question. If we're not discipling anybody, we're really not being everything that we're called to be. And this is serious business. Because in the past, it's always been, well, the the pastor does all this. Well, yeah, the pastor is supposed to empower and equip so that others can do the same thing. So it's a continuous, it should be a continuous train, right? So always be somebody ahead of us and always be somebody behind us if, if we're really serious about this. And this, this is kind of new for, for many of us. Okay? So uh, what's the connection between pastors, members, and disciples? Everything we are and do has discipleship in mind. So that should be the focus for all of our ministry. Is are we making Disciples, and even further than that, are we making disciple makers? If we do that, our church will be changed tremendously, and we'll see a huge missional impact. Well, how do we do this? What are the ingredients? We believe there's four, maybe more than that, but at least four. Number one, biblical teaching. It's where you have to start. 
We have to show our people that this is the biblical model, not necessarily what we've been doing for the last uh, 100 years or whatever it is. It has to be encouragement. So when we find people doing the right thing or somebody who's interested in a particular ministry, to encourage them and then plug them in to that ministry, train them, that should be number three. And then number four, real-life experience. Uh, computer didn't translate uh, this very well, apparently. Okay, so we'll break these down a little bit. I don't have time to do a lot of biblical teaching today, but uh, we have resources, uh, and there's lots of resources available. But uh, if, if you don't mind, if you have a Bible or if you have an um, uh, electronic device that has the Bible on it, go ahead and look these passages up. And uh, we'll see real quickly what the Bible has to say about discipleship. Matthew 16, 24, and 25. Somebody have that? Read it real loud for us. Anybody? Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. So if you, want to be, if you want to be my disciple, what do you have to do? Deny yourself. In other words, put your sinful self, your sinful flesh has to die every single day. A new person come forth. So deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So is, is it easy? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, Luke 11, 1 or 2, that's Jesus uh, teaching the Lord's Prayer. And so disciples came to him and said, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. So he did. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30 is um, talking about uh, the burden uh, that we have as disciples. And Jesus says, uh, you know, uh, come to me, all you who are uh, weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And he says, uh, your, your burden will be easy, your yoke will be light. And of course, a yoke is the, you know, the apparatus that, that binds two oxen or, or two cattle together. So as we're pulling, so to speak, who's pulling alongside of us? God is. Yeah, Jesus. So, so really, that's why our burden really is light. I mean, it's not easy being a disciple, but think about who's uh, doing most of the work. <laughs> it's God. It's Jesus. So, so in, in that sense, it's it's not that it doesn't have to be difficult for us. It doesn't have to crush us, certainly. Jesus is there with us. Mark 1, 35 to 38, Jesus is uh, healing uh, people. Uh, he was at uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, uh, the, the house there. He heals her. Then he heals all kinds of other people. That's not... I'm sorry? Jesus praying in a solitary place is Mark 1. Yeah, but before he goes out to the solitary place. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, exactly. So after all of this, you know, you think, uh, you know, the things are going great and the disciples are looking for Jesus and he is in the solitary place. He's praying. And what does he say to his disciples? Can't stay here because I got to do what? I have to go to other places and tell them about the good news of the kingdom. So, you know, there's, uh, Jesus is saying, you know, follow my... Follow my example, follow my model. We need to go to everybody and share the good news. And then Nehemiah 1, 1 to 4, um, we have a Bible study on Nehemiah called Catching Vision, uh, and it takes you through the whole book. 
But basically, as this, this is the introduction to Nehemiah reconstructing the wall around Jerusalem. And it starts with a passion for this project. And so when he hears about what's happening in Jerusalem, he, he literally gets sick to his stomach. And he says, we must do something about this. And then he starts with prayer and fasting. So th those are just a, a few little tidbits uh, about what discipleship's all about. But we, we need to lead our people through uh, you know, what it means to be a disciple. So we start with biblical teaching. And we've got three resources already put together for you. There they are. Well, there's the last one. So uh, we have a, a Bible study called uh, Discipleship Following the Master, and it's eight sessions, and it's, it takes you through what the Bible has to say about being a disciple. This is all written in interactive fashion. It's an adult ed model. So it's not a talking head. It's, it's people talking with one another, working through uh, this on their own, uh, or in, in small groups, I should say, and then going and practicing. I think that's one of the things we don't, we don't do very well. So, so I tell you, go make disciples, and then next week, how are you going to improve unless you actually tried something during the week? So we're going to give you assignments to start practicing some of the elements of disciple-making. Something as simple as, how many people do you know that are lost and unreached? Write them all down and pray for them this week. And then we're not going to embarrass you next week when you come back and say, okay, raise your hand you know, if you did it or you didn't do it. But you would have somebody in, you know, in, the, in the group that would hold you accountable. And they'd ask you, well, how would you do this week? How can I encourage you to do better next week if you didn't do it? So it, it works you through a, a process like that. So that's what this one is. The other one, uh, the discipleship journey, and if I can just hold this up for a second. This one, we just finished this. This is also an eight-session, uh, one-on-one booklet for someone who wants to be a follower of Jesus. So if I find that my neighbor or a friend or, or just somebody I know has an interest in either uh, church or Jesus or God, I would say, hey, can we get together? I've been following Jesus for a long time, pretty much my whole life. I don't, have, I don't know everything about it. I don't have all the answers, but I know a little bit. How would you like for me to show you what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Would you, would you maybe, can we have coffee next week, sit down for an hour? I find uh, most people will say yes. So I have a booklet. They have a booklet. It's like a checklist. You just work through it. So the first one's on assurance of salvation. So we start in Romans uh, chapter 10. Uh, if you believe in your, or if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we work through that. Would you like to confess Jesus is Lord? Yes or no? <laughs> uh, oh, you need more information. Let's talk about it. Do you believe that God really raised Jesus from the dead? Yes or no? If so, you know what? You have salvation. You're forgiven, and you have a place in heaven right now. And then there's a whole bunch of other Bible passages we go through, and every one we check at the end of it. Do you understand this? Do you believe this? Yes or no? That's session one. Session two is on baptism. If you believe those passages we went over last week, 
The next step is to be baptized. So you look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Have you ever been baptized? Yes or no? If you haven't been baptized, what's keeping you from being baptized? And then you go through the benefits of baptism. And if they believe all of that, what do you think you do next? Schedule a baptism. If you're really bold, you're baptized. <laughs> or you, you talk to your pastor about, uh, is this on tape? <laughs> That's what they did in the Bible, right? That's what they did in the book of Acts. Um, but you schedule a baptism. Then the, the, the next one's on um, devotions, being in the Word of God and, and having regular devotions. And there's one on prayer. And then the next one's on how to share what you know, your faith with somebody else. So you work all the way through this till you get to the seventh session. At the end of the seventh session, you ask the, uh, in the seventh sessions on the, the church, so the body of Christ. So you're talking to the individual and uh, you, you show them what, what the church is from scriptures. And the church, of course, is a number of people together. It is the body of Christ. So guess what we're going to do next week? We're going to practice being the church. So do you have anybody that you could bring that would benefit from what you've been going through the last seven weeks? All those people you've been praying for these last several weeks that you made a list of. Bring as many of those as you can. And here's what's going to happen. Some of the people that you're discipling will bring somebody and some won't. So how do you make sure that you actually have a body of Christ together for the next session? You invite some of your church friends, right? Or if you're discipling another person, you, you invite that person. You need to have at least four people. So they come for the eighth session, and guess what you have? A small group Bible study. And so in the eighth session, you go through the small group Bible study, and at the end of that, you ask, how many of you enjoyed what we did here today? Hopefully everybody raises their hand. How many of you would like to learn more about the Bible, say, in another eight weeks, meeting together? Hopefully, they all raise their hand. Guess what you do next week? You start an eight-week Bible study, and so that's our third resource up there. And uh, there's a website that uh, actually has uh, eight sessions where you go through the whole Bible in eight sessions, believe it or not. Okay. Just the highlights, just the highlights. <laughs> then after they've been through that, then you can pretty much go wherever you want, you know, with your, with your Bible study. Will all of these folks end up in your service on Sunday morning, do you think? No. Some will, though. Some will. Um, but they'll all be, they will all be being discipled. And that's really the, the, the most important thing. But what you're going to find is a lot of these folks... That are, that are coming uh, into the faith, that are beginning to follow Jesus, the, the institutional church is so foreign to them that it scares them. So that's why you really have to work on these small groups, build, building relationships, and then gently invite them to come with you. Sit with them, hold their hands, uh, and, and some will just will love it, and others will say, no, that's not for me, but they're still in your small group, and so that's okay. So this is a great resource um, we just developed that we think will be very helpful for you. Okay, how are we doing? All right. 
encouragement. It's just finding people doing the right thing and uh, plugging them into a particular ministry. Training needs to be immediate. So here's what I, I tell folks, especially pastors. If you're going to preach a sermon on discipleship or talk about a particular ministry, you need to have an immediate opportunity for people to plug into that ministry. So don't talk about serving the homeless unless you have something lined up so people can go serve the homeless. Have a connection card. Have something in the bulletin or in the narthex where people can actually sign up. And here's the date. We're going out. We're going to go do it. Otherwise, you lose folks. It was a great idea, but that's all it was. So that's immediate training. I do it, and you watch. I'm training uh, elders at uh, Trinity in Memphis right now. Uh, there's a lot of shut-ins at this old church. And I have two jobs. Uh, so I can't be visiting. I don't have time to visit all the shut-ins every week. So I am training the elders, and, and it's very simple. I have the appointment set up. Who can go with me this week? All right? You go with me. I do it, and you watch. The next time... We do it together. Time after that, you do it, and I watch. I'm your safety net. In case you run into problems, in case uh, you don't know what to do, I'll be there to, to make sure it goes okay. Then you do it, and what do you think's next? You take somebody else and train them. And this works with any kind of ministry, any kind of ministry. Okay. Now, I realize there are certain things only a pastor can do, uh, so maybe not, you know, preaching. <laughs> uh, and some of the, you know, the, well, the, the, the functions of the, of the pastoral ministry, but just about everything else you can train people to do. So we're not talking about lots of classes, that sort of thing, but uh, I do it and you watch, we do it together, you do it and I watch, then you train somebody else. And then real life experience, this is kind of what I was getting at before. You have to give people opportunities right, right away. Um, so whatever it is, you know, have, have sign-ups so that people can do it. All right. Skill Builders is a great uh, resource. Here's the outline of the lesson from Skill Builders. See how it works? So the first thing we're going to do is pray. So if I, let's say I need more Sunday school teachers, or, or our church needs more Sunday school teachers. First thing we're going to do is pray for more Sunday school teachers. We're going to do it in corporate worship. We're going to do it in our meetings. I'm going to do it privately. Number two, we're going to spot some potential Sunday school teachers. So as I'm praying through the church directory, or as I'm looking at the folks on Sunday morning and we're praying for Sunday school teachers, there's going to be a few names that are going to start popping into my mind. And I'm thinking, this may be from God. This may be the pizza I ate last night. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, here's some potential folks for being Sunday school teachers. Then I'm going to invite those people to experience what it's like to teach Sunday school. So if uh, Glenn here is on my list, I'm going to say, Glenn, um, I've been thinking and praying that, uh, you know, you might be a, a good Sunday school teacher. Uh, do you have a particular grade that you think you would be better suited for? Maybe junior high. 
Okay, well, our junior high class meets in classroom 102 uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, would you mind just sitting in the class this, this Sunday? No, no expectations. You don't have to. I'm not asking for an answer today, but I just want you to, to experience it and see if this is something maybe God's leading you to do. So I invite Glenn. He, he goes. He's exposed to the ministry. Then the teacher, the person who's already doing this ministry, is going to sponsor you if, if you're still okay with it. And so the teacher is going to essentially start discipling you, and you, know, you watch him or her. Uh, maybe you get a little part of the lesson uh, at some point, and then pretty soon you're doing it. So you just work through the steps. But now I have to release this ministry. Let's say Glenn's really gifted at this. He's really good at it. I'm, the, I'm the, the, the person who's teaching currently. But I don't want you to do it because this has been my ministry for the last 30 years. Wrong answer. No, I need to release that ministry to Glenn. And I'm going to go do something else. Or maybe I'm a sub now or whatever it is. But I'm going to do another ministry. This is the hardest part of empowerment, is actually giving up something. I think that's what uh, you said earlier. I have to actually give up something. I have to give up my ministry, or at least a part of it, so that other people can do it. So we have all of this in the Skill Builders uh, workbook. You can work through it step by step if you want to. Now, I've gone through this very quickly. Anybody have any questions? Comments, cries of outrage on empowerment. All right. I want to just kind of go through that. See, I'm way behind. We already took our break, and we have about 20 minutes (laughs) to go through the the other four. I'm going to hit the first couple uh, just real lightly, and we're going to talk about community outreach. And I apologize for talking too much, but uh, hopefully this is helpful. Uh, The first one is focused prayer, and this is just praying for the lost and unreached. We pray for the sick and the dying to keep them out of heaven. (laughs) We don't don't generally pray for the the lost and unreached to get them into heaven. So where can we pray for the lost by name? We use uh, bookmarks, prayer lists. I know a church up in uh, Ontario, Canada, Kingsville, Ontario, they put all the names uh, of uh, lost and unreached people that are submitted by congregational members, and and they put them on the windows in the sanctuary. That way they're reminded of them uh, every week. That's kind of a cool idea. But the the idea is we really need to pray for these folks by name as much as possible, and certainly generally as well. So there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, We have a prayer Bible study um, it's called uh, First Steps to Connecting our, to Our Father. I think there was an example of it on the table earlier. So if you want to use that. But it's really just simple, you know, praying for the lost and unreached by name. All right, number two, functional board. This is where I usually get bogged down because everybody wants to know, what do we need to do? Change our constitution and bylaws. This is the last hinge, okay? It's important. But this is the last thing you should do. When you get everything else in order, then then work on your governance. Okay? Um, So I'm going to kind of skip through this one. Um, This is all in in our book. 
And make sure we get to community outreach, which is next. There are a couple of really good books. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned these in hinges or not. One of them is called Winning on Purpose by John Kaiser. Uh, he's American Baptist, uh, so there's some bias there. There's a good Lutheran book called Structure Your Church for Mission by Les Stroh and Kurt Bickle. So those are the two if you're, you're thinking about uh, changing your bylaws or changing your church structure. Those are the two I recommend. I also do a workshop, a uh, half-a-day workshop on um, governance structure. I'd be happy to do, and we can make arrangements to do that uh, as well. All right, community outreach. This, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our, our time before lunch. So the church has a strategy for reaching the community that results in increased worship attendance, baptisms, and professions of faith. How many of you would like to see that at your church? More baptisms, more professions of faith, more people in attendance. Okay. So how do we accomplish that? Well, let me tell you a little fishing story. This is straight from John 21, 1 to 11. This is after the resurrection. And Simon Peter, I don't know if he's bored or whatever, just wants to go back to his former life, says, I'm going to go fishing. And some of his buddies said, well, we'll go with you. So he had a number of people. They went out on the boat and they went fishing. And they fished a long time and they caught nothing. But then they see this guy along the shore and he says, uh, you need to fish on the other side of the boat. So they say, okay, we'll do that. And they caught 153 fish, but the nets were not torn. They didn't break, which I guess was rather miraculous. Well, what do we learn from this fish, fishing story? Here's some principles. Number one principle. You want to catch fish? You have to go fishing. Where should you go fishing? In the water. Okay? So, is that inside the worship service on Sunday morning? Probably not. Now, we know there are hypocrites. Jesus said there'd be some hypocrites. So, I suppose you could fish uh, inside the church, but most of the fish are out in the community. So, if you want to catch fish, you've got to get out into the community. You have to put your net uh, in the water. Okay? You learn best how to fish by watching those who are good at it. Kind of makes sense. You catch more fish with a net than with a rod and reel. How many can you catch with a rod and reel at a time? One. Or if you're me, you never catch any. Right? But with a net, how many can you catch with a net? At least 153. <laughs> okay. So what we're talking about is, is there needs to be organized activities and events uh, by the church in the community. So it could be five people, it could be 50 people. But it's, so you're not doing this by yourself. You're doing it with uh, other Jesus followers. So it's an organized enterprise. What are some outreach principles? Outreach into the community is not an end in itself. In other words, so just doing outreach isn't the goal. Sometimes I hear that. Well, we have an outreach committee, or we did some activities, or we did some events. Well, whoop de doo <laughs> I mean, we should be doing that, right? But that's not the goal. What's the goal? 
They catch some fish, make disciples, right? That's the goal. And I would say there's uh, another goal, even before that. So the immediate goal is to engage people. So in other words, to build relationships and share the gospel. Because ultimately, we can't guarantee how many fish we catch, right? Whose job is that? That's Holy Spirit, so we, we can't guarantee that. So the immediate goal is to engage people, and then the ultimate goal is to form relationships so that we can share the gospel. That's really the goal, is to share the gospel. To, to change illustrations is to plant the seed. So we got to go fishing so that we can plant the seed, if that makes sense. And then it's up to God how many fish are caught or how big the harvest might be. That's really not up to us. So we serve the community because it's a godly thing to do. This is not bait and switch. Somebody, I think it was you, uh, talked earlier about ultimately we have to proclaim the gospel, right? So all of these activities are fine and good. You know, help the homeless, give uh, food to people, uh, have events where people can come, have support groups. All of those things are, are wonderful, but they're primarily great commandment. I think we need to be very careful that we're up front with folks so that we tell them. So if we have a concert at our church or we have trunk or treat or we have uh, Easter egg hunt, if we just had Easter, a lot of churches do that. Right from the very beginning or, or in, even in the, the uh, advertising, we need to tell people why we're doing it. We're doing this because we love Jesus and we love our community and we want to serve you by sharing Jesus with you. Say that somehow. Otherwise, to me, it's bait and switch. So we got you on our campus uh, promising you an Easter egg hunt or a trunk or treat or a concert. And, uh, but our real reason is because we want to convert you to becoming a follower of Jesus. And that's all true. But let's, let's just be upfront about it. That's, that's my little sermon to you uh, today. We do this, folks, because we love Jesus we love you, and we know the most loving thing that we can possibly do for you is to share Jesus with you. That's why we brought you here today. Why don't you have fun? Uh, you know, while we're here, we're going to have a lot of fun with these other activities. But here's a real reason. And if you're interested in that, please let us know. Pray with you. We'll talk to you more about it. So that's, that's really all I want to say about that. But I, I just see so many churches thinking, oh, if we just did this activity or event, we'll get all these people on campus. Then we'll tell them about Jesus. Well, the whole reason we're doing this is so we can tell them about Jesus. So let's just say that up front. All right. Come on. So incarnational churches organize their members to serve the community. Incarnational means to become flesh, right? Uh, the incarnation is, is God becoming flesh. Jesus uh, as God coming to the earth as a human being. So we need to be little Jesuses, if you will in our community, right? So there's two approaches to this. They come to us. How well is that working, by the way? Not well. So we have to go to them. That's the incarnational approach is we're going to go out into the community and we're going to be Jesus. We're going to show people Jesus through what we do and what we say. That's our approach. Okay. And back to people of passion. There's all kinds of good stuff in that book. Chapter 4 talks about service projects, and there's a whole list of them in there. And chapter 6 talks about outreach events. Let me give you a few examples. We mentioned a few earlier. 
This is my favorite. Faith in Action Sunday. How many of you have done a, a Faith in Action or a Service Project Sunday? Has anybody done that? Okay. You want to share a little bit what that is with the rest of the group? Gardening at a wooden shelter. Okay. Connecting with them through an act of service. Okay. And, and when do you do it? On Sunday morning. So this is the key. What do the people in your community expect for your church and your members to be doing on Sunday morning? You should be in church. You should be in worship, right? What if you were out in the community serving them? What would that say to your community? Yes, you're more important than what we normally do. You're important to us. I think it says that just as loudly, maybe more loudly, to the members of the church. So if you want to uh, start breaking this uh, focus on self, this inward focus, then our members need to be involved in doing something outward. And Sunday morning is the best time. So we're saying to our members, it's important for us to be in the community. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't do worship. Usually, uh, most churches, well, if they have two services, they'll have one. Or if they have one, it'll be short. So you, uh, we did this actually at uh, Trinity in Memphis last Sunday. I think the, the Sunday after Easter is a great time to do it. Attendance is probably not going to be real great. <laughs> at least it wasn't at our place. Um, the Sunday after Easter. And so doing something a little different is kind of exciting and fun. So last Sunday, we sent out people from our downtown church in Memphis to hand out homeless survival kits. And so those are just uh, plastic uh, Ziploc bags, the quart bags. And we put non-perishable food in there and a drink, like juice. And uh, we went out, and within 30 minutes, we had handed out all 50 bags to homeless people in downtown Memphis. And they were thrilled to get them. Inside the bag was a church card and a little wooden cross, so they'd at least know where these came from and why, they were, uh, why we were doing it. Uh, most of the folks engaged us in conversation. And we have donuts every Sunday morning at Trinity. We invited them all to come have a donut with us. And every Sunday, we get one or two homeless that come in and have a donut. Sometimes they stay for worship. Not always. So that was project number one. Project number two was handing out water bottles to people. There's big uh, parks in downtown Memphis, uh, especially one uh, down by the river. And so people on Sunday morning will go walking, jogging, riding bicycles, and that sort of thing. Last Sunday in Memphis was actually quite cold. It was about 40 degrees, so there weren't a lot of people looking for a cold bottle of water. So uh, the, the group that did that uh, started hanging out around the uh, visitor center uh, in downtown Memphis, and they handed out a few bottles of water. But they also gave out uh, the, the Trinity business card to a number of people, including uh, a young Korean lady by the name of Ja Min Lee. And she was actually in her car, and she was in the parking lot, and she was praying. And uh, so she rolled down her window, uh, or maybe they knocked, I'm not sure how that worked. And uh, they said, hey, uh, we're from Trinity Lutheran Church downtown. Here's a bottle of water. We'd love for you to come. If you're interested, if you don't have a church home, come worship with us. And she said, you just answered my prayer. 
I was praying for a church, and God sent you. And so she came and had lunch with us, and um, hopefully tomorrow she will uh, be joining our uh, adult instruction class, which I'm, if I get back to Memphis <laughs> tonight, we'll be starting tomorrow. I texted her on Thursday and reminded her, and she said, uh, and I think she said it just like this, uh, I be there, <laughs> see you Sunday. So, uh, and then the third project was picking up trash, so we picked up trash uh, around, the, around the downtown area. So it's as simple as that. And uh, so that's service project Sunday. Uh, I'll show a video about that in my session this afternoon if anybody's interested. Adopt a school, neighborhood cleanups, free giveaways, mission trips, partnering with other organizations. You don't necessarily have to do this all by yourself. Um, Steve, you were telling me for uh, your, your Easter egg hunt. Who did you partner with? The uh, Culver's Restaurant. Program. There you go. T tell the group how that worked. So win-win, right, for the church and, and for Culver's as, as well. So you can partner with other organizations to do these kinds of things. Again, there's all kinds of examples at Chapter 4 in People of Past, and I think there's uh, at least 50 uh, ideas there for you. And again, I have a video, which I'm not going to show now, but I'll show this afternoon in case uh, you are in that particular session uh, of what they did at First Lutheran in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Okay. Incarnational churches attract people to events, not worship services. Not that we don't want to invite people to our worship services, but lost and unreached people are much more likely to attend something like you had at Culver's um, or some other uh, net fishing activity than they are to come to your worship service. So that's why we do all this stuff, these presence-type activities so that we can get unchurched people to show up, build a relationship with them, and then as the opportunity arises, tell them about Jesus and or invite them to a one-on-one -on -one discipling process, a Bible study, a small group, or some other you know, more uh, spiritual uh, activity. So that's why we do it. And here are some examples of community outreach events, festivals, spring and fall festivals, uh, especially churches that have schools You do these a lot. So you get people on your campus, trunk or treat, night in Bethlehem or other Christmas-related activity, backyard VBS. I think vacation Bible schools that aren't on your campus are a great way to reach out to the neighborhood. Uh, yeah, Dave? There you go. Yeah, National Night Out, that's where you have the police and firefighters and so forth from your community. And, you know, you can have that on your campus. You can have it at the precinct. And so you'll interact with a whole lot of folks. They welcome that, too. Nursing home ministry, so the church that you go to the nursing home, that's, that's great. Um, educational events, support groups, 12-step you know, groups. 
About 10% of all of the, of the entire adult population in the United States has some kind of addiction. So there's all kinds of folks in the community that, that need this. Um, other community meetings, groups. Again, lots more examples in, in the People of Passion book that you can take a look at. And then finally, incarnational church members are intentional about sharing their faith in the context of a relationship. Ultimately, we must proclaim the gospel. There's lots of ways to do that. Um, here's my little Lego example. Most people in our congregations look like these Legos. How many pegs are there on a Lego? Anybody know on a standard size Lego? There's eight. And so social scientists tell us that eight relationships are what the average person can sustain. Unfortunately, most of us who attend church regularly, our eight, uh, our eight pegs are already filled with other Christians. Now, that's a good thing. I mean, it's awesome when we have eight Christian friends or you know, a bunch of Christian friends. But what does that do to our time and our energy? We don't have a lot of time and energy then to devote to somebody who's unchurched or lost. So if I do have to encounter one of these people, what am I going to have to do? I've got to free up some space <laughs> on my Lego. So, now, that doesn't mean I go to my Christian friends and say, I can't hang out with you anymore. You just told me that. <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay. You've been waiting for this opportunity, haven't you? Um, but we, but we have to make time. And that may mean that, well, okay, we're not going to play canasta every week with all of our Christian friends. Or maybe we invite one of our, our non-Christian friends to come play with us. So it doesn't have to be real complicated. But uh, it's all about building relationships. Um, and then actually sharing our faith. So, again, in the, my session this afternoon, uh, I will be demonstrating and modeling and giving you some more resources on how to share your faith. Uh, but in case you don't go to that, let me uh, share those with you. In People of Passion, there are, let me just forward this a little bit. Make sure you get this. Come on. I always have too much material to get through. Trying to keep up. There we go. So in People of Passion, there's a chapter on crafting a personal testimony, and we all have one. You all have a great story, whether you think you do or not, of what Jesus has done in your life. And there are people who are interested in that, but it does take some practice on how to do that in a winsome fashion. So there's a chapter in People of Passion on how to do that. Uh, also talking about the gospel, uh, in People of Passion, there's the bridge model, which uh, we Lutheranize from the Navigators. And uh, it's just a really easy way from uh, the book of Romans on how to tell the, the gospel story of what Jesus has done for you and, and what he can do for, for anyone. Uh, those same techniques are also in this Bible study. And uh, there's also another one called the Three Circles. And that one's not up there on the screen, but uh, there's a, in the appendix, there's one called the Three Circles. So if you're an artist or if you just like to uh, doodle a little bit, uh, it's, a, it's just a real fun way to share with somebody um, 
the gospel story using three circles. And I'll, I'll demonstrate that. We'll show that this afternoon for those that are interested. But you can Google that if you want to see it. There's video. And just, so, just Google three circles, and uh, you can see how that's done. So I think I'm about out of time. Um, so uh, sorry I didn't get through everything, but it's, it's in the resources. It's in the book, and you can find it. And there'll be a lot more good stuff this afternoon. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Cultivating Leaders. We pray that you have a blessed week and enjoy our spring weather in Minnesota or wherever you are.